Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Hey everyone, welcome to a special kind of question and answer version yeah, of the Spoken episode. Gospel podcast. We we, we, we sometimes get you guys uh, to uh, who email in questions or responses. Sometimes it's just saying, hey, Thanks. keep it going. Yeah. Thanks for what you do. <laughs> Other times they're really long, thought out questions. And we, we usually just respond to those via email. Um, we thought this was such a good question. Yeah. We should just jump in and because everyone Everyone asked, asked this. this question. Right. So um, we've, we've got a friend who, who wrote in. Um, well, he, I'm just going to call him our friend. We actually ha- don't know him, but. We don't know him. We, we know you through email now. Yes. And his name's Utah. And uh, he says that he's a confessional Lutheran who has really helped, but also uh, still had some questions about. Um, our episode, our special episode that we did on Pharaoh's hard heart right. whenever we were in the book of Exodus. And so he basically, um, and, and, you know, he's kind of also wrestling with some things like between Arminianism and Calvinism and being elect versus, you know, choosing and all this other stuff. I think there's a heart of the issue, though, that all Christians wrestle with, right? D- uh, regardless of what camp you fall in. And basically, uh, Seth, do you have it there? Pull them yeah, in front of you. Yeah, and he says it this way. He says, often I felt severely worried of the possibility I'm not a Christian. Right. Whenever comparing myself to say like first John or other marks of true Christian, I can't help but feel like I failed. Obviously I can resonate with Romans seven where Paul talks about his struggles and that's mm-hmm. where he says, uh, what does he how does he put it? He's like, oh Romans seven, like what I want to do, I don't do. It's what yes. I hate that I oh, keep wretched on doing. Man oh, that wretched I, man yeah, that yeah. I am. But I still worry about this issue. Right. So the question really at the heart of this is like how can we know that we're Christians? Yes. How do we know that we don't have hard hearts? Yes. Are we in danger of our hearts becoming hard. Yep. Um, like, how does that work out? Especially back in the Exodus story. Mm-hmm. But also, how does does Jesus talk about the same thing? Yeah. And so, uh, let's first let's kind of start off there in the Exodus story with Pharaoh's hard heart. Let's kind of look at him and see: is there anything going on in him that's going on in me, or anything like right. that? Well, what is the story? The the overarching story of Pharaoh is that God is working through His messenger Moses. Yep. And over and over and over and over and over again, God is showing up in miraculous signs. Yep. He's coming. He's showing who he is. He's showing his supremacy over the the false gods, over the Egyptian false gods. And Pharaoh, over and over again, what does he do? He hardens his own heart. Yep. He hardens his own heart. He, I think it's four or five times he says he hardens his own heart against it, and then we also tell that God hardens his heart as well. And, And it's it's kind of it's kind of less structured than that it it it, 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 we're weaving in and out of each other it is intentionally ambiguous right right that like who's hardening whose heart is god hardening his heart or is it pharaoh and that's what tends to freak people out a little bit where it's like so god could just act contrary to my will and harden my heart even though i want to love him right right like so even if i even if i'm trying to be a christian and want to be a christian i believe in him he could just come along and harden my heart. No, no. that is not what's happening That's in the Pharaoh happening. in the Pharaoh story at all. What you're supposed to see in the Pharaoh story is the way not to be. And so what Pharaoh does over and over again is he sees the acts of God and finds excuses for it. 
any way that he can. Well, my magicians can right. do the same thing. So for the first four or five miracles, what what can his magicians do? Yep. They can reproduce they the can same turn the miracle. Water into blood. And so what Pharaoh does over and over again is he says, you know what? The works of God are actually just the works of a magician. That's right. And so for, for us today, what we're saying then is we're saying that um, people look to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and, and there's this miracle that has occurred. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> one miracle is that God became man and died, right? Right. And then there's another, in, in, in doing that, he bore the penalty for our sin, conquered the spiritual forces of evil, all this happened in his death. And then there's this other miracle, you know, he rose from the dead. Yeah. And we look at that in Utah, I assume you look at that and you go, that is a true story that mankind could not replicate or fabricate, and I believe that it occurred by the hand of God. Right. Pharaoh refused to, to do that. Right. There's a faith element here that yeah. Pharaoh just cannot abide by. And it's that there would be a God, a one true God that's over everything that can act in miraculous ways. Right. So the point the point that David's saying is the fact that you believe that story at all is proof positive. Is proof positive <laughs> that you are a Christian. Yes. To say something like, Well, I believe in Jesus, but how do I really know? Right. Is like saying like is is to say like I believe in the impossible by God's gracious hand. Yet, how do I know that God's gracious hand was really with me? Right. It's it's, it's the same like, like it's a miracle that you trust in God at that's all. Right. I think I mean the New Testament tells us that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Right. And so the very fact that you can say I actually believe that a dead human <laughs> rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God, and that this dead human was God in the flesh. And like, yeah. all, like these are insane doctrines that we believe. You shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't de-miraculize That's right. the fact that you trust in Jesus. That is a miracle, and that, that, is, that is proof that you have a soft heart. Right. That's right, because a hard heart cannot believe that. It refuses to. It, it will chalk it up to anything else. It will right. say, oh, that's that's just uh, people messed with messed with the, the text and they made they made up rumors. Uh, they hid the body. They stole the body. The body was never there. They'll come up with a billion different right. tricks that had to take place to account for the resurrection. But for us who just say, oh, we believe in it, that's a miracle. It is. Yeah. And we get the same message that we're talking right now in the New Testament as well. Right. So Jesus, when he's talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. I can't. I I was pretty scared as a kid that I had committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because that's the unforgivable sin. That's the unforgivable unforg- sin. Right. All sins will be forgiven except, except this one. Right. But I think what you're supposed to see in the Pharisees is the same hard heart that you see in Pharaoh. That's right. Pharaoh consistently, willfully, over and over again, falsely attributes the miracles of God mm-hmm. to anything else. That's right. And the Pharisees, because of their religion over and over again, consistently, willfully attribute the miracles of Jesus to anything else except God's power. Yeah, and they say, oh, the reason you can do this is because you're doing it by the power of Beelzebub. You're doing right. it by satanic, demonic powers. Right. And so what does Jesus say? This is the unforgivable sin. And so what does the unforgivable sin look like in Exodus? God hardened his heart. Right. So there is this parallel, I think, between Pharaoh's hardness of heart and what's happening in the New Testament. And the encouragement here for you. So it's like, that sounds terrifying. Like, how do I know? <laughs> right. It's like, if you're worried that you've committed the unpardonable sin, you haven't. You definitely have not. You have not. People who are worried that they've committed the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin or they have hard hearts can never have 
a hard heart because right. their consciences are too, too soft. soft. <laughs> if you're worried about it, you have not committed the sin. Right. Yeah, exactly right. Which is which comes as a relief where it's like as soon as I worry about it, I realize that I shouldn't be worried about it. Yes. Yeah. And so um, I, I think that's helpful. Um, so, so Seth, then if like, I mean, you know, you, you work with students on a daily basis mm-hmm. um, as a student pastor. Um, when a student comes to you and they say, how do I know that I'm a Christian? Yeah. How do you answer that? I think a lot of times when I have, so I'm, we're kind of in the Bible belt. And so a lot of times what end up students end up doing is saying, okay, I remember this experience that I had at camp mm-hmm. or when I was younger, I walked an aisle or I raised my hand. grew up in church. Most of them grew up in church. Yeah. And they'll say something like, well, I, re- I remember that moment, but I'm kind of skeptical that it actually worked. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it was just the music. Right. Maybe I was just young and impressionable. I was doing it because my brother did it on the same day. Maybe I was baptized because my parents were forcing me into it. Mm-hmm. And the more they look back and they, they just kind of try to place their hands on that moment, the more fake it might yeah, seem. It starts to the, fall apart the more they touch it. Right. And so I think it sounds like a strange metaphor, but the really most helpful way to think about it is actually the, the sacrificial system in the okay. book of Leviticus. <laughs> I was not expecting you to go there. And so this is why I tell kids, I said, when the ancient... Levites uh-huh. would offer a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. They would put their hands on the sheep or the goat, right? And it was this symbolic action of transferring their guilt right. to the animal, mm-hmm. and they would slaughter the animal, and then they would know that their sins had been atoned for, taken right. care of. Their their relationship with God has been restored <laughs> when they place their hands right. on the animal. So what we do oftentimes is we try to place our hands on an event. Oh. I place my hands on that summer camp experience. Yeah. I place my hand on walking down that aisle. I place my hands on the fact that I've read my Bible every day until I turn ninth right. grade. And How I do I know don't. I'm a Christian? Well, because back when I was 10 years old at this summer camp, right. I walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. So we're, so the question I always ask, like, <sighs> where are you consistently putting your, your hands, hands to feel like a good Christian? Mm. And so, And then I say, the only place you need to is you place your hands on the head of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Do you imagine your hands placed there on Jesus's bloodied face? And if that's if you do, that's all you need. Right. As long as your hands are resting there, you can know that when he was killed, your relationship with God was restored, he has paid for your sins, and you are most certainly a Christian. Yeah. So the question I always ask is like, where are your hands? Yeah. Where are your hands? That's really good. I think it's really helpful. And and I and so in Utah in his question, um he also talked about how he um, he, he kind of compares himself with the Christian from like that first John describes, you know, right. where it's like, um, those who love me do my commands. Right. If you don't do my commands, you don't love me. And so he's like, I, you know, like a lot, of, I mean, I've, th- those are haunting passages sometimes where it's like, okay, so if I, if I don't obey God's commands well enough, then I'm not saved because I don't love him. And like, so I mean, how how do how do faith and works kind of go together? Because it's like I'm, I know you told me to put my hands on Jesus, right. but it sounds like First John is saying, "Well, keep one hand on Jesus and <laughs> one hand on your works." Well, he's not saying put your confidence in works to make sure that you feel saved. What he's saying is, people who have placed their hands on Jesus end up looking like Jesus. Right. Like you, you know that scene in The Matrix <laughs> when Neo sticks his hand oh, in Mr. into Smith, Agent Smith, yeah, and then he becomes like Agent Smith. They like well, then Agent Smith like becomes him and explodes oh, or whatever right, else. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or and then Agent Smith gets a superpower and he can stick his hand into anybody. Yeah. They become Agent Smith. I forgot about that part. This is okay. I don't know how <laughs> this is going to be, but the idea is when you place your hands on Jesus, when yep. you trust Him, you begin to become Him. Yes. In fact, we're told that He lives inside of us. Right. So it would be an 
inauthentic placing of the hands, if we place our hands on Jesus, our only hope, Jesus' spirit begins to live inside of us and we don't change. Right. It's not that we place our hands on whether or not we're loving enough. Right. Because we'll always doubt mm-hmm. at that point. But it's the fact that Jesus was loving enough. And if Jesus was loving, so should we be. And right. then we, the Bible's great because it has really, really realistic expectations about human beings. Oh, right. It knows that you are created in God's image. Yeah. And you were created to be good. But at the same time, you're fundamentally corrupted right. and incapable of doing good. So already that that conception of humanity is yeah. far more complex than our world would offer you. True. Our world will say, you're basically good. And if you failed, you should feel bad about it. Right. Or it'll say, you're basically bad and you can have no hope of doing anything yeah. good when some more traditional societies. The Bible says, no, you're both things simultaneously. Right. So you shouldn't be surprised when you fail, yeah, and it shouldn't be a reason for condemnation because your hands are on Jesus Christ, right? Which I love, like in First John chapter toward the end of chapter one, he's talking about all these things. He's saying like, if you love, you'll obey his commands and all this stuff. But then you turn to chapter two, and it says, but if anyone does sin, where do you put your hands? You have an advocate. <laughs> you have, the we have an advocate Jesus before the, the fi- before the Father who is the propitiation for us since he's paid the price. Your works don't pay the price. So when you feel condemned, when you feel like your works aren't measuring up, when you realize that you have sin in your life and you you feel disqualified, you don't keep your hands on your own works and your own merit. You quickly throw them back on the head of Jesus and you say, he's my propitiation. And what's interesting is that it's here that we have a catch-22 as Christians is because um, we, 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 we get in this, this doubt cycle where I doubt that I'm a Christian because I'm just not doing enough good works. And that feeling is inadequate to the task of causing your heart to produce good works in your life. You'll never do good works for Jesus when you're doubting that you're not that you're saved by him or not, right? It's only whenever you throw yourself fully on his completed work that he's done everything for you that there's not one work that you could right. do that would add to your merit. It's only then when your hands are both on the head of Jesus that you actually start to look like him. And so yeah. it's the cycle of doubt that we get into where we have to first and foremost say I believe in Jesus and that's enough. Right. Right. And then the works will come. And what, so this goes back again to like the Bible's conception of humanity is very complex. It's you're both good and bad at the same time. Right. Simul just est peccator. There it as, is. As uh, Luther said, simultaneously justified and a sinner. Right. And what that means is that for Christians who are worried that they're not saved, you don't need to be, you are justified by Christ. Mm-hmm. But for Christians who want to look more like Christ, you actually have the freedom to fail. Yeah. You have the freedom to try to be more loving and then fall short of the mark and then not beat yourself up that's right. by it because that's expected right. and there is grace for that. It's kind of like what, what Luther, again, he talked about sinning boldly. Yes, sinning right. boldly. Yeah. Not that you just sinned for sin's sake, but that you go out there and live and if you sin, you own it because right. you know it's covered yes. and you move on. And you move on yeah. and you continue to try it. That's right. One of the things that our, our society wants people to be is to be good morally woke citizens right yet there is no grace for them when they fail mm. there's like it's just all social media backlash and right. retweets there's no grace nope. for people who fail the moral standards of our day but in jesus christ there is grace for every moral failure and we get to try again yeah. and it's not held against us there's no permanent internet record of our past failures that will be brought up in the next job interview it's done away. Yeah. Well, uh, that's really helpful, Seth. Thank you. 
Um, and, and yeah, thank you, Utah, for being so, for, so vulnerable to email us. Um, if you have a question about a past episode, um, we'd invite you to uh, email us at info at spokengospel.com, info at spokengospel.com. That's I-N-F-O, short for information. And really? That, yes, it is. It's a, it, a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> Uh, but that goes uh, straight to um, our, our uh, one of the wonderful people who work at our nonprofit called Megan, and she will quickly and speedily get that to either Seth or I to respond to and possibly incorporate that into a future Q&A episode. Seth or me. Yep. What? Seth or me. Seth or me. You wouldn't say she would send that email to I. That's right. Seth not, or me. She would send it to you're me. You're not the subject of the sentence. I, I'm not. It's only the subject of the sentence. It's not all about me. It's not all about I. I. Grammar lesson. You say I uh-huh. when I is the subject of the sentence. You say me when it is the object. In this case, David was the object. Mm. Therefore, Utah, have a great day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening to the special episode. Um, again, thank you for those of you who are listening, who write in questions. We're so thankful for you. Um, be sure to rate us on, on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Send in questions. Uh, head over to our website at SpokenGospel.com. Uh, poke around to some of the new resources we have. Consider uh, becoming a, a supporter of ours on our donate page. And uh, we will be back with you guys very shortly with the book of Leviticus. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Gospel.com.